Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday of the Yard. I've got my Maroon on right now. It's because it's still late. It's uh, a little after 1 o'clock in the morning here on Maroon Friday, and I am wearing Maroon. But I'm going to go to bed, and I'm going to get up, I'm going to pack a bag, and I'm going to head to Baton Rouge, and I'm going to go watch those boys in Maroon and Wyatt beat LSU. How about that? Hopefully you can make the trip. If not, you'll be able to watch it uh, this weekend. I know we're on, uh, let's see, I guess we're streaming Friday night, and then we're on the SEC Network Saturday. I think that's right. But either way, you should be able to get it on the app. Just about everybody today has uh, Roku Stick or Google Play or whatever it is, or you got the app, you got a smart TV, whatever. You should be able to watch a Diamond Dogs if you can't make it down there. We do expect their biggest crowd of the year. They're going to be at 50%. 50%, and uh, with the Bulldogs coming in and it being an SEC opening weekend, a lot of people not been able to make the ball games. We expect some very, uh, shall we say, boisterous crowds down in Baton Rouge. It's been a great week, man. I tell you what, I've had so much fun this week riding, kind of preparing uh, for this, because here's the deal, and, and listen, we want to beat all Miss and everything, but the years that we're really good in baseball – you know, the, the years that we really do something special are years that we're able to play with LSU. And you've heard me talk about it on the show before. In many respects, LSU's kind of been our daddy the last 15, 20 years. It's true. You know, we have an occasional win here and there. We win a series every now and again. But listen, 12 of the last 13 years, LSU's won the series. The one exception was 2016 when Mississippi State won the SEC. And that year, in fact, John Cohen and the boys won every road series that year. So it's important to kind of understand this is a good measuring stick for us. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't know how good this LSU team is. Spoke to Ben McDonald earlier this week. That's right, legendary LSU uh, pitcher Ben McDonald, former number one draft pick, Baltimore Orioles guy. You guys know Ben. Ben is the best color commentator in the college game, bar none. And maybe it's because I'm biased, because I'm an SEC guy. But you know what? Here's the deal. I, I probably hate losing to LSU worse than anything when it comes to baseball because it's a reminder that we're not quite there yet. 
And we've had a pretty much an annual reminder for most of the last uh, couple decades that uh, we're just not quite there yet. And there's all these years we think, you know what, we got a great team, we got a great team, and then we play LSU. And then we find out, you know what, they're better than us. And so I've looked forward to this week for a long time. One of the reasons is because I think we're better than LSU. I think this is a year that we can go down there and win a series. We won down there in 16. We won down there in 06. We don't win series down there regularly. In fact, we probably have done a better job uh, down there than we have up here. You know, we got to live with the fact that LSU uh, won the last series at, at the old Duty Noble. But this is just one of those deals. It is a good early measuring stick for us. And listen, LSU is going to get better as the year goes on. I got some really young talent that's kind of finding their way through. And talking to Ben, you know, and Ben's very candid. It's one thing I'll say about Ben McDonald. Ben is not an LSU homer. Now, and, and if he is, you know, he hides it well. But I think Ben is really objective about LSU. And when we talk, he goes, you know, Steve, I'll be honest with you, LSU hadn't been tested yet. You know, he said State has been tested. State's played some ranked teams. State's played some teams that are going to compete for conference championships. That hadn't really been the case for LSU. You know, Louisiana Tech's probably the best team that they've played at this point, and yes, they beat them. But they have not faced the pitching they're going to see from Mississippi State. They're not. And so we're going to preview the series uh, you know, after the first segment. But uh, I'm excited to go. And it's not because I miss Baton Rouge. You guys know I lived there for 16 years. I miss a few friends. I miss Floridly Pizza. I miss fresh seafood. You know what I'm saying? I miss those things. I, you, you probably don't know this, but I lost like 25 pounds when I moved to Starkville. You know, just eating all that great Cajun food down there because it it's on every street corner, right? I mean, you know, you, you could run to Tony Seafood there at Baton Rouge and get you a plate lunch and put you in a food coma the rest of the day. You know, and down there, you know, you, don't, you can't just have donuts. you got to have boudin too. And so... So, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back a little bit. But, uh, you know, our last trip to Baton Rouge was pretty successful. We went down there with Mike Leach, and we won a football game. And uh, so I'm hoping we can do the same thing. And, and, again, I'm optimistic about the weekend because I think there are some things about this matchup that really favor Mississippi State. And we're going to get into that uh, after the break. Bulldog Burger Company, listen, if you're looking for a place to go watch the ball game this weekend, you know, maybe you're like, you know what, I can't get to the game, but I really want to be part of a festive atmosphere. I don't just want to be cooped up in the house. Go to Bulldog Burger Company. You can have a few beers there. If you want it to be a family night, you can do that too. Uh, you can you go out and just, you know, bring everybody and watch the ball game, or you can go sit at the bar and watch a ball game. You can go up there and have a dessert and watch the ball game. Two great places to go watch the ball game this weekend at Bulldog Burger Company, right here on University Drive in Stark Vegas and on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Go in, have the new full of bologna burger. You know what I'm talking about. That thing is absolutely loaded with protein. Got the ham, got the burger, got the egg. It's ridiculous. Go try it. Get the grilled chicken club, get the I tuna burger. Those are new items to the menu. So if you're a Bulldog Burger Company veteran, maybe you need to go dust off the menu a little bit and say, you know what, hey, let me try something fresh here. Get something new. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T, and watch a ball game. All right, so let's get more in this LSU thing. One of the first things I want to share with you guys is, uh, you know, you, you probably know by now, Chris Lamonas confirmed what we had said on the show on Wednesday. And that is... Christian McLeod on Friday, Will Bednar on Saturday, 
Eric Sarantola on Sunday. Now, it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. You may have forgotten because it's been so long since we played baseball with the full roster available, but that was our rotation last year. That was the weekend rotation. Now, it took a couple weeks for us to get there, but we ended the year as that is the weekend rotation. We, began, we ended the fall and began the spring with that as our rotation. And then we get down to Texas, and Eric Sarantola is unable to travel. And then Will Badnar has some tightness uh, there in the neck. And so we're without those two guys, and we still had a winning weekend, despite the fact that we were missing two of our weekend starters. Badnar has now worked his way back into good health and is now going to take his regular spot in the rotation. So, again, you know, granted I have some inside sources, but it didn't take that to kind of figure this thing out. So when Chris announced it today, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion. That's going to be the weekend. I like that matchup. I like the fact that Bednar has kind of worked his way back, but also, too, I think he's hungry. You know, when Coach Pat McMahon was here, his philosophy was this. He liked to throw his best guy on Saturday. Because you have to win on Saturday. You absolutely have to win on Saturday. If you lose to Friday night game, well, then you're going to need the, the Saturday win to, to, to give you an opportunity to win the series. And if you win on Friday night, then you, you have a chance to close out the series on Saturday. So McMahon kind of believed in throwing the best guy on Saturday. I think we, we may not be throwing our best guy on Saturday, but I think we're throwing our probably most motivated guy on Saturday. And when you saw what Christian McLeod and Eric Sarantola did last weekend, I think it really bodes well. I think the pitching matchups in this game are tremendous. But I wouldn't trade ours for theirs. I absolutely wouldn't. Now, I'm sure some of them are thinking, oh, I wouldn't trade ours for theirs either. Well, you know, their issues on Sunday aren't really any better than ours. I like Bednar. I like Christian McLeod. And uh, you know, had a chance to, to – Tune in to the LSU Zoom call today. Had a chance to uh, visit with Coach Paul Maneri and a couple of their players, including Landon Marceau, who's their Saturday starter, who has been lights out this year. He has been. you got to give that guy a lot of credit. He's pitched exceptionally well. That's who Bednar will be paired up against. So, that, you know, chances are that's going to be a low-scoring ballgame. And we have had our, our streaks of time offensively. You know, there have been some games we win a ball game with four hits and there are other times that we lose them with ten. But we've got to go out there and swing the bats. We've got to go out there and manufacture runs. We've got to do the little things like tag. We've got to move runners and push the ball to the right side. We've got to do all the little things necessary to win close ball games. This is not going to be a church league softball series. There are going to be some Sundays in the SEC. That's what it looks like. You know, 14-13 type games. I don't expect that this weekend. If, if anything like that breaks out on Sunday, I'll be absolutely shocked. But Paul Maneri spoke at great length, and you can read his comments. I posted them all for free on jeanspage.com. Talks about how much respect he has for Mississippi State and how, you know, when he ended his college career at Duty Noble Field, I, don't know if you, I didn't know that. Maybe I was out of the loop. But, you know, Maneri, of course, played at UNO. They lost to us in a regional. They beat us in one elimination game, or they beat us in a winner's bracket game and then uh, had to beat us twice and couldn't do it. And so we beat him. He ended his college career at Dirty Noble Field. And, of course, he said that when he came and played the uh, regional with Notre Dame, that that was the greatest experience in his coaching life to, at that point. Obviously, he's had some big moments at LSU since then. 
And so he's quite familiar with us. But, uh, you know, some people have said, you know, he's kind of got a burr in the saddle about Mississippi State. Maybe he does. But he also went on to say that the reason that the SEC is such a strong baseball conference now, that the conference is the greatest in all of college baseball because of the rivalry between Ron Polk and Skip Bertman. Ron Polk was, of course, here before Skip made the move to Baton Rouge. Those two are great friends. used to play softball together, as oddly as that sounds. But, you know, Polk was here, got things established. Bertman showed up, and because of the fact that both of those guys were great baseball coaches, great friends, and great competitors, you had a friendly rivalry right out of the gate. And LSU and Skip Bertman knew, hey, in order for us to take the next step as a program, we got to catch Mississippi State. And they did, and ultimately they passed us. And that's a burr in the saddle for me. I think about all those national championships they won. I said, you know, we could have had a couple of those. Should have been us. And maybe the game kind of changed with us and we didn't evolve with it for a while. But as Maneri says, when people saw what was happening in Starkville and Baton Rouge, when people saw the excitement around the programs and the fact that we were actually making a little money on baseball, other people in the SEC were like, wait a minute, what, what if we made that investment? What if we went out and hired a coach and built a new ballpark and put some money into our program? Maybe we could have something like that. And so there became this arms race in the SEC. You know, Arkansas, of course, wasn't far behind. You know, they jumped in. Then Alabama kind of jumped in. Auburn was really good in the 60s and 70s, but it took them a while to kind of get up to the modern era of college baseball. Georgia, of course, committed. But when you begin to look at this, you know, Ole Miss, too. I mean, it took, it took Ole Miss probably longer than anybody else in the West. And to be honest with you, I think a lot of that is because it didn't seem like a good investment. Because Mississippi State dominated the series. But in time, they committed to baseball. They brought Bianco in. They built University Stadium. And listen, they're, they're a great program. They're not as good as us, but they're a great program. And so I think it's interesting to see Maneri, a guy that, uh, that did not grow up in the SEC. You know, a guy that who's, you know, went around the country, and I'm sure he probably felt it sometimes like an SEC hater. But to give Ron and Skip a lot of credit – for being the pioneers of what we now enjoy and celebrate in the SEC, I think it shows that, number one, he has a good feeling for history and a good sense of history. But also, too, he understands how important these two schools have been to each other and to the SEC. I want those guys to hate us again. You know what I'm saying? I want them to hate us again the way that we hate them. Now, there's a, it's a friendly hatred, right? I mean, like it's a bitter loss, but... I respect them, and so when we do lose to them, you just say, you know, we lost to a better team. It's not like losing to Ole Miss. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, we should expect to beat Ole Miss in everything and every sport, especially baseball, because we are better at baseball than they are at anything. But when it comes to LSU, it's like, you know what, for years and years and years, we say, you know what, we're better than LSU, we're better than LSU, and then all of a sudden they went and won five national championships, and we're like, okay, you win. So I wanted to get back to a point where the people at LSU – think, you know what, we got to beat Mississippi State every year. They've gotten too comfortable beating Mississippi State. I mean, I think this is a year that we can reverse that a little bit. I really do. And I'm excited about it. Spoke to Pete Young earlier this week. Pete and I reminisced a little bit. Pete, of course, here from 87, 88, 89. We won two of those three series. Beat Ben McDonald twice. Ben threw a complete game win 
at Duty Noble and a complete game loss at Alex Box. Gave up the game-winning home run to John Cohen in the loss in Baton Rouge. Mike Bianco happened to be the catcher. And just think, just think about that for a second. I tweeted out that picture. Is you, get, you got a former number one draft pick on the mound. You got a future SEC championship winning coach at the plate. And you got Mike Bianco from Ole Miss behind the dish. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's some SEC baseball royalty right there in one image. And it just kind of goes to show you, you know, what a big deal this series has been. We've had our moments. We need to have a lot more of them. And again, this is, again, that measuring stick. And for those of us that really love and understand SEC baseball, we understand how important this one is. It's not just another series. Because LSU is still LSU. Even in the rebuilding year, LSU is LSU. You know, you never see LSU at the bottom of the standings for long because they have some young players that figured out by the end of the year they're playing well and they're hosting a regional and, you know, sometimes they make the Supers and sometimes they make it to Omaha. But by the end of the year, Palmineri is going to have LSU play winning baseball. Come May, they're going to be in the thick of things. I remember a couple of years ago, everybody had them dead and buried and said, you know what, they'll be lucky, lucky to make a regional. And then they got hot late and ended up hosting a regional. And everybody was mad and said, oh, it's just wrong that LSU gets to host. You know what, it's LSU. It's LSU. And so I want those people to say, you know what, it's Mississippi State. You know, even Ben McDonald told me when I interviewed him, he said, you know, listen, he said, when I was in high school, man, when it came to who the cream of the crop was in the SEC, it was Mississippi State. LSU wasn't quite there yet. Ben helped them get there. And so I don't just want to sit here and wax poetically and get all nostalgic. I think our best days are ahead of us. And I think they begin today. So let's take a look at LSU. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. you got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, it's a must-have for your home today. 
If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, so the Tigers have announced their pitching rotation for the weekend. They're going to throw three right-handers. And with the left-handed heavy lineup that we have, that's good news for us. Now, a couple of these guys are big-time guys, right? Okay, so and, and what you'd expect from LSU, right? I mean, you wouldn't expect those guys to just trot out a bunch of midweek guys and hope for the best. Let's run some numbers here. Their Friday night guy is Jaden Hill. Now, Jaden is a guy that has unlimited potential. He's also a guy that gets very, very emotional when things don't go his way. He was getting hit a little bit, not getting calls. He kind of gets off his game a little bit. The stuff is electric. But he is a guy that when he gets – when he kind of gets in, it, in the mix a little bit and start feeling some adversity – he hadn't always shown the ability of power through that. And so that's why I think if you can get a quick start on him and get into that bullpen, I think you can win the ball game. I'm worried more about Saturday than I am Friday, to be honest with you. Now, one of the things about Friday that does concern me is you're going to have Christian McLeod, a left-hander, throwing to all these right-handed hitters. And then, listen, they've got a bunch of free swinging, launch angle experts. That want, you know, they, they treat it like a beer league softball game. One of the things that's going to help us, wind's expected to be blowing in this weekend, especially on Friday night. And I think that's big because Christian McLeod can then challenge hitters. you got about a 10, 15-mile-an-hour wind blowing in from left, and those guys are used to you know playing in that softball park out there and dropping those bombs out there in left center, and all of a sudden that's not available to them. It becomes a different game. And that was one of the things that Paul Maneri addressed. One of the guys asked him, he goes, you know, Paul, does it concern you I guess it was Scooter from Lake Charles that asked that. So, Scooter, hey, listen, I mean, Paul, are you concerned that most of your runs are coming off home runs? And Maneri says, well, you know, it's funny, for 10 years, all I've heard is you guys don't hit enough home runs, and now I'm hitting a bunch of home runs, and you, you say, why are we not manufacturing runs? Well, they're leaving a ton of guys on base. And if you saw that Texas San Antonio thing, 
you know, there were several times they had a chance to put the game away, couldn't get the big hit, and, uh, you know, they come out, hit some bombs later, and listen to their credit, they don't quit. But what happens when you remove the possibility of hitting a home run? And listen, if you're hitting one out with a 10-mile-an-hour wind blowing in, I mean, you've really tanked it, right? I mean, you've most home runs barely leak over. And at LSU, there's a bunch of those. But all of a sudden, you, you got you to gotta hit into that wind. The ball stays up. Launch angle gets off a little bit. Doesn't carry quite as far. Kind of holds up for the outfielders. You know, then all of a sudden you got you start getting frustrated. You think, oh, I thought I got it all. I, I, I didn't get enough. Let me just swing harder next time. So, you know, McLeod's got to be smart, and, and when he misses, you got to miss down. You can't elevate fastballs to those guys unless you really get above the hands because they've got that tomahawk chop, and that's what they're going to swing for. But looking again at Jaden Hill here, uh, 4.24 ERA, considering the competition they play, that's not very good. And, and a lot of that stems from that – dreadful start he had against Oral Roberts two and one on the year and he's made four appearances has the one no decision uh, 17 innings pitched in four appearances so he's not a guy that goes very long he's allowed 13 hits eight runs all of them earned he struck out 15 and walked just four has given up just three extra base hits let's get inside these stats here and get inside the starts uh, four innings against Air Force three hits just one hit against uh, Youngstown State in six innings of pitch. Last just one-third of an inning against Oral Roberts. Allows five hits and eight runs, walks two, strikes out none. And then UT San Antonio, he goes six and two-thirds. Shutout innings, four hits, uh, six Ks, two walks. So you see he's not a really big strikeout guy. That's just not who he is. He is the guy that's going to pitch to contact and kind of have you beat the ball in the ground. That's that when he's on his game, that's what he's doing. He's getting you to hit the top half of the baseball. He gets good sync on his pitches and forces you to let the defense work for him. That's his game. So we've got to find a way to go out there and poke some of those balls through the hole and kind of put him in a stretch and make him defend the runner, make him deal with the plate as well. Now, the guy that is very, very impressive this year is Landon Marceau. Landon's a guy that's been around a little bit. A little bit smaller right-hander, junk ball pitcher. He's got four-pitch mix, fastball, changeup, curveball, slider type guy. And from what I have seen, he mixes that slider in later in ball games, like the second and third time through the order. That's when he'll bring the slider. So he's a guy that wants to change speeds, work both sides of the plate, and then as he gets deeper into the ball game, just when you think you've got him figured out and saying, okay, well, I know what to expect on this breaking ball, he drops that little slider in on you. Next thing you know, you're going to the dugout kind of thinking, oh, I hadn't seen that before. Very, very impressive guy. <coughs> Four starts, <clears throat> 2-0 record. 23 innings pitched, 12 hits, just two runs on the year. 32 Ks against three walks. That is ridiculous video game type numbers and has allowed just one extra base hit. Opponents are hitting a buck fifty against him. Get inside the numbers with him here. Uh, five innings in both of those runs. He's given up this year. Came in the first outing against Air Force. Five innings pitched, two hits, two runs, four Ks. Absolutely destroys Nickel State. Six innings pitched, two hits, ten Ks. Oral Roberts. Six innings, six hits, seven Ks. And then UT San Antonio, just a couple of hits, three walks, and eleven Ks. And so. This is a guy that knows how to pitch. You know, there's a lot of guys out there that are just kind of throwers. And what I mean by that is, you know, and I spoke with Frank Montgomery here a while back, and he shared with me the worst thing that ever happened to college baseball was a radar gun. And so there's a lot of people out there that just want to gas guys up 
and they don't learn how to pitch. Landon Marceau knows how to pitch. He's not going to go up there and blow 95, 96 by you. That's not his game. He's going to change speeds. He's going to change your eye level. He's going to get you out on your front foot, and he's going to sneak that fastball by you. This is a guy that can throw four pitches for strikes, and it makes him almost impossible to hit. So you got to kind of wait him out and get into that, that Tiger bullpen, which has been an absolute adventure this year. And it's one of the things, if you, if you follow any of the LSU uh, message boards, and we have a great one over there at Go247, you know, that's one of the things I'll talk about is, you know what, the starters would kind of keep you in a ball game. Next thing you know, it's a 1-2-1, 3-1 type ball game after six, and then seven, eight, nine, you just never know what's going to happen. And that's kind of what happened with Texas San Antonio and Oral Roberts is once they got in the bullpen, those guys began to tee off a little bit. And listen, LSU leads the nation in home runs. I think they got 32, we got 16. And you know, I'm perfectly fine with that because we're a team that can go out there, we can double, double and then gap you and gap you to death. You know, we don't have to do that. We don't have to go out there and hit home runs. Now, we've hit some big ones down at Alex Box Stadium before, but with the wind blowing in, home runs are going to be at a real premium this weekend. Now, one thing about us, when we do hit them, they're line drives. That ball that Luke Alexander hit earlier this week that he nearly hit out of the stadium at Duty Noble Field, that ball would have been out of any park, including Yosemite. But uh, kind of working through this thing here with the, uh, the bullpen, it has been you know, one of those deals you, you look at and say, well, you know, where, where's the disconnect? And it doesn't really matter who they brought out there. I mean, you've got some guys with some ERAs that are just absolutely ridiculous. They want Devin Fontenot to kind of be the setup guy. One time he was the closer. He has struggled. He had a good outing last weekend against UT San Antonio. And kind of looking at his numbers here, it's really been about location with him. And that's the thing about bullpen guys when you bring a guy out of the pen, he better be ready to throw strikes. He better be a guy that can come in there and land the breaking ball and spot up his fastball. You can't bring a guy in there that's, that's going to walk people. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of happened to him a couple times. He struggled against Texas Southern. Uh, UNO was a team that uh, you know, he, he got in and out of there pretty quick, but he struggled to throw strikes. UT San Antonio got to him a little bit. Uh, he threw an inning against Southeastern. But he has not been the dominant guy that you would hope uh, to be a closer. So they like him as the eighth inning. They've got some, uh, some other guys who are kind of mixing and matching there on the back end. Uh, Matthew Beck is a guy that's been really good for them uh, out of the bullpen. But outside of that, you know, Garrett Edwards, I guess, is a guy they like as a closer. I think that's who Paul Maneri mentioned. Eight appearances. He's had the one start this year. But, uh, you know, he's a 12 strikeout to, to four type guy. Will Helmers is another guy, 21 Ks, two, two, uh, two walks. But when you get a little deeper in this thing, you know, you know, Jacob Hasty, an ERA over five. Blake Money, over five. Aaron George, 540. Javen Coleman, 7.71. Alex Brady, 7.71. Mikhail Hillier, 10.38. And some of these guys have had multiple appearances. I mean, like, you know, Mikhail Hillier, if you look at that and say, well, you know, Steve, he's only, he's only pitched a little bit. No, that's incorrect. He's had eight appearances, and his ERA is over 10. Brandon Kaminer is a guy that's had three appearances. His ERA is over 22. And Trent Weidmeyer, that's a guy that has pitched against us before four appearances. He ERAs, his ERA is over 27, or is 27. And so you begin to look at this. They're having trouble matching up on the back end. That's where I think guys like Rowdy Jordan can be important. Everybody, of course, has access to the splits. They know that you know, Rowdy is good against this guy, not good against that guy, and you want to make him hit the way you want him to hit. But this LSU bullpen is an adventure. And so if we can work some counts, and, and I, I see some guys on message boards sometimes, and, and, again, there are a lot of people that enjoy baseball that don't know baseball. 
guys, we can't run up pitch counts if they're throwing strikes. Now, if we're, if we're not going to chase balls out of the zone, we can run them up. If we can foul some balls off, foul off some two-strike pitches and kind of spoil some pitches, we got a chance to run them up. But if they're up there, you know, landing two or three pitches for strikes, you can't just sit there and take strikes and expect to run the count up. you got to go up there and be aggressive looking for something you can hit. And listen, we're not going to beat OSU by walking all day. It's just not going to happen. We're going to have to go out there and get hits. They're not going to just give us the ball game. We're going to have to go take it from them. Let's look at the off the LSU offense. And listen, it's been impressive. It really has been. And these are relatively young guys. And I hear Paul Maneri say it. They've only got a couple of guys that have got true SEC experience. You, know, you guys know uh, Cade Beloso. He's been around forever. You know, Cade's one of those guys, not a real pro prospect. He's a great college player, but size is a little bit of a concern with him. But uh, he's hitting 233 this year, 17-game starts. He's been the DH for them. Had some big moments. He's played against us. We're very familiar with him. And then Gavin Dugas is a guy that's been around forever, too, it seems, hitting 324. But a lot of these guys are young. You know, Dylan Cruz is a guy that a lot of people expected him to, uh, to go into the draft, elected to go to college, leading the team with a 406 batting average, already got six dingers. Walked 18 times, which is ridiculous for a younger guy to think that he's got that kind of plate discipline to have those kind of power numbers and then still be a guy that is disciplined enough to kind of let them walk him and kind of move the lineup forward. Uh, Trey Morgan's a guy that uh, they're really excited about down there. They think that, you know, he, he's a guy that struggles at time with that elevated fastball. He's got just the one home run, but he's an RBI machine, 17 ribbies on the year. You're going to be impressed when you see this guy. You're going to love that hair, too. Right? I mean, this is a guy that is a Brother Martin grad. But when you see this kid at first base, he is a freak of an athlete. I mean, he really is. It's like there are a lot of guys that play first base, and you kind of put them over there because they're big targets and they've got good gloves and good feet. This is a kid you almost got to make him play in control because he'll be taking balls away from the second baseman and forcing the pitcher to cover. But uh, you're not going to sneak a lot of balls down the line between the bag and him. I mean, he, he's a guy that's got great reach, great reaction time, really good player. But, again, another young guy. I mean, that's the thing. This is the transition year for LSU. Yeah, you got a bunch of guys back, but, you know, a lot of the, the, the nucleus of this team is very, very young. And Paul Maneri said on a Zoom call on Thursday, you know, they've had some defensive issues. Finally have kind of settled with the shortstop. He said he's really worried about second base. They've had some mistakes out at second. Feels good about first. Uh, you know, third base is one they're, they're, you know, they're kind of concerned a little bit about because, uh, you know, you've got, you've got a guy down there, Kay Doty, that hadn't played third base a lot. But this is a guy that's hit a ton of dingers for them already. Already got eight home runs. And if you watched uh, last weekend's game against Texas San Antonio, he was the hero in that series. It seemed like he always came up when they needed a big hit and he produced. Uh, Giovanni Giacomo is a guy that we played in the uh, in the big 17-inning game a couple years ago out at Hoover. He's been a little bit banged up. They're hoping to kind of get get him back in lineup. They say he's not quite there. So in center field, you got Mitchell Sanford uh, playing in his place, and the, and Maneri seems to be pretty comfortable with him out there in center. But defensively, you know they're just not where they want to be just yet. That'll get better. You know, because you got young guys out there kind of figuring this thing out. But uh, this is a team that is capable of hitting a lot of home runs. And I think when you, when you begin to factor in the weather and you factor in the fact that, that, well, that we're pitching it, you've got a chance, I think, to really go in there and steal a ball game or two just because of the fact, number one, I think we're the better team. 
And number two, I think they haven't faced any pitching anywhere close to us. Let's run down the schedule real quick here because a lot of people think, oh, it's LSU. And listen, I have that same feeling of, you know, of mystique when it comes to LSU too because I respect their program. I understand they're what we want to be. And so you're never going to hear me be disrespectful of LSU, but I believe that we have the better team this year. So they take two out of three early on from Air Force. And that, a lot of people, when that, when that first happened, people were like, wait a minute now, wait a minute, what's going on with this? You know, why is, uh, why is Air Force going down there and Air Force had a chance to win the season, win, win the series down there uh, and blew it? But, you know, look, you know, Air Force, you know, they're, they're going to be a disciplined team, right? But they're not a team you look at and say, those guys should go in there and uh, take a series from LSU. And, guys, they're 6-6 six and six on the year. Six and six. They did win a midweek game against Louisiana Tech. And listen, Louisiana Tech is a good team. They're probably a regional team. I hope they don't come here. I hope they go like to Oxford, if Oxford hosts. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, yeah, Tech's a guy, the team, they beat Arkansas on Sunday and they beat Ole Miss in a midweek. I mean, this is a team that is doing pretty good and probably LSU's best win. They take down uh, UL Lafayette 11-2. And, of course, uh, UL Lafayette lost series to their miss last weekend. They take a couple from Youngstown State. You know, we had Youngstown State come into Mississippi State here a few years ago, right? You guys remember that. And, um, you know, it, it's just you, you look at these northern teams sometimes and you want to be, you want to be fair and you want to be nice about it. But a lot of these mid-major teams from the north have no no business coming down here and play. And Youngstown State, five and eleven on the year, five and eleven. They gave LSU some trouble. LSU wins at six two five three, but it wasn't like it should have been. I mean, again, this is a losing team. This is a team that's lost you know twice as many games as it's won, and they went down there and competed against LSU. And so when I you know I look at some of these numbers against some of these teams, and I think, well, yeah, it makes sense that you have these numbers because you hadn't really played anybody. They take two, and they really blow out Nickel State, 14 nothing, and they squeak by 5-4. Well, Nickel State, 7-8. and eight. And if you're sensing the theme here, you're correct. There hadn't been a lot of teams they played with winning records. Now, listen, I know a lot of these smaller G5-type schools, they're going to go on the road early on to cash the check and that sort of stuff. But when you begin to look at this, you begin to ask yourself, you know, the LSU's got the same record as us, but they haven't played near the same quality of competition. They beat up Southern University from Baton Rouge there. Uh, Southern's 5-10. and 10. Oral Roberts, you know, Oral Roberts went down there and took uh, two out of three, and it was crazy how that series went. I mean, absolutely insane. Earl Roberts goes in there on Friday against LSU's ace and wins the ball game 22 to 7. LSU pounds them the next day, 12 nothing. And then finally on Sunday, Earl Roberts gets them three to one. And so that's why I look at this LSU offense. It's like, okay, when we can hit home runs and we can get out there and be free swingers and we get that um you know, we get that jet stream off the grandstand pushing balls out to left. Yeah, we got a good chance to win. But when that's gone, we've got to play baseball. Can we do it? Oral Roberts, just so you guys know, 6-10 and 10 on the year. 6-10, and 10, two of those wins coming at LSU.
Uh, Texas Southern is who uh, LSU took off in the midweek after that game. Texas Southern, of course, uh, team there from the SWAC. But, uh, you know, kind of look at this thing, too. And Texas Southern is a team that came in here and beat Mississippi State a couple years ago. You know, so it's not like it to be completely out of character to think they're going to be a good team. Wrong. 4-13. and 4-13 and 13 on the year this year. Do you, see, do you see what I'm getting at here? Then you get to, you know, UNO. They beat UNO in the midweek 5 nothing. Went down to uh, Privateer Park and took care of that ball game. And... You know, the privateers used to be a great program. And it looks like they're 9-17 and 17 right now. It looks to be the best team that maybe LSU's played. You could argue Louisiana Tech, UNO are the best teams. You know, UTSA, you know, expected to be kind of a middle-of-the-pack team in Conference USA. And UTSA easily could have won the series. That's the things you look at. I mean, they gave LSU everything LSU wanted and then some. Looking at Texas San Antonio's mark, five and seven. Five and seven. So my point being is when you look at who we've played, and I think Ben McDonald's point is a very good one. Mississippi State has been tested. Mississippi State played three top ten teams to begin the season. Mississippi State has faced a team that's probably going to win the SOCON, a team that's going to contend for the AAC. I'm not going to sit here and say that we've faced murderers row. But we faced a better schedule than they have. And so when you look at some of these numbers pitch-wise for them, you kind of got to factor in, you know, that, listen, that they haven't really played teams that can hurt you. Texas can hurt you. Texas Tech can hurt you. I just want to run some things down for you because I know sometimes like once we play a team, we kind of move on and we just you know, kind of forget about them. You know what I'm saying? Let me just run this down for you real quick. I'm not going to do our whole schedule. But I just want you to know, you know, since we have played the University of Texas, what they have done. It is phenomenal to think about this. Uh, Texas now 12-5 and five on the year. Swept undefeated South Carolina last weekend. So that's a quality win for us. That's an RPI building deal for us, right? Texas Tech Baseball. And, you know, I'm a big Timmy Tadlock fan, man. I love their whole approach to baseball. I really do. And they attract a lot of big-time hitters, for sure. Texas Tech, 16-3. and 16-3. and three. Now, in case you've forgotten, you know, th- this, this bunch up here, you know, this is a group, if you recall, that, um, you know, we played – we've won, what, three in a row against those guys? They have not lost a ball game. Their schedule's kind of messed up here. Yeah, so they have not lost, and since I don't know when, I don't know, I don't know how to read the schedule. It's 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 a disaster. But um, sixteen and three, eleven and zero at home. You know, TCU kind of had a rough weekend last weekend, and, and we should have beat them. Okay, we should have beat them. You know, if we if if Houston Harding has twenty four hours notice to kind of get his mind right, we win that ball game. TCU's eleven and six. So I point that out. You know, we always talk about it. Well, you know, these non-conference records, what do they really mean? What can you really read into them? Well, I would much rather have had Mississippi State's non-conference schedule than LSU's. You know, when I coached high school baseball, we had our, our rivals across the way were Terra High School. 
we used to call it the Battle of Goodwood because both schools were on Goodwood, the Goodwood Boulevard there. And uh, that's, it was an old neighborhood rivalry in Baton Rouge, and I coached at Broadmoor. And one of the first things I did, I kind of took a play out of Dan Mullen playbook. I mean, like I said, I don't care if we win anything, we're going to beat Terror this year. We're going to beat Terror, we're going to beat Terror. And we did. But one of the things that I learned about keeping up with Terra is they would go out and schedule all of these, you know, small schools in the pre-district schedule, and they would come into district play. I mean, they'd be, you know, eight and two or nine and one or ten and one and everybody would be like oh man this is the year for Tara and I'd go watch them play and scout them I'd be like man these guys are no better than they were last year and then we'd go out there and ten run rule them and it gave our kids so much more confidence because of the fact they're like oh man Tara was ten and two you know I didn't have the heart to tell my kids that you know what they're ten and two because they played a bunch of schools that could barely fill the team but in the minds of those Terra kids, they were thinking, hey, what? You know, hey, listen, we're 10 and 1. We're going to be better than Broadmoor this year. And I'm happy to say that the four years that I was coaching there, they weren't better than us any year. That was one of the things we took a lot of pride in. And so I kind of see this in a similar light. I think LSU is a very confident team, but I think a lot of it's false confidence because they haven't truly been tested. They have not faced any arms. I don't care what Paul Maneri says. They have not faced the arms that Mississippi State's going to roll out there this weekend. I, th- I think I think LSU might be a little bit too confident. At least I hope that's the case. I expect Mississippi State to go down there and win the series. And I think we're going to come home feeling really good about our ball club. I really do. This is a great test for us. I think it's a great test for LSU. And I think the fact that we're going to be able to kind of negate their biggest strength, which is the, you know, the ability to hit the long ball in that launching pad of a ballpark, out to left field, you, you begin to take that away from them and force them to play a little bit of baseball. It's a different day and time. So we'll see what happens. But uh, I guess I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the Sunday matchup. Let me do that before we move on because uh, they've got one more guy they're going to throw. I've, I've got so many tabs open on this computer now, you're going to give me just a second. But, uh, you know, looking at, at the uh, LSU website, I give LSU credit. It seemed like they were way ahead of the game when it came to uh, – to, to lsusports.net, they they were pushing that thing out in the infancy of the internet. I give them credit; they, they do a great job. I give them absolute credit for doing that. Sunday's starter is AJ Labas, L-A-B-A-S. Uh, he has had four starts and has no record in a 3.10 ERA. 20 innings pitched, it's allowed 24 hits, so he's given up over a hit per inning. Uh, seven runs, all of them earned, but 27 strikeouts against three walks. And, again, a, a lot of these numbers are skewed, you know, because of who they played. But he has also given up a ton of extra base hits, four doubles, a triple, four home runs, opponents hitting 286. And so if we can go out there on Sunday and not walk the ballpark, if we go out there and, and pitch it well not give them anything, I think we have an advantage on Sunday. And a lot of people have said, oh, you know, I'm just so worried about Sarantola. Listen, he looked great last weekend, and yes, he had some problems in the first inning. He got through that, and that's why I think if we can find a way to – if we win Friday and Saturday, you better watch out because I don't know they got the pitch in the hold-up. I think think what LSU is hoping by putting Labus on Sundays is that, you know what, we just need a guy that can get out there and throw some strikes and we just kind of hope for the best and we'll just outscore everybody. I don't know that they can outscore us on Sunday without our help. 
And so I'm not calling for a sweep. I am calling for a winning series for us because I believe we're the better team. And I, I love the fact that we're going to have three right-handers uh, throwing against that left-handed dominant lineup. And I'm eager to see kind of how we perform. I think we've got a team that's very hungry and very experienced. And uh, Paul Maneri even said himself he had no clue how many guys we had that had actual SEC experience, which kind of surprises me. We've got a bunch of them. We've got some other young guys, too, that are kind of figuring this thing out. So we've got a good mix there. We've got more players than they do that have true SEC experience, and I think that shows this weekend on the road at LSU. All right, today's top ten list brought to you by Dr. Robert Yarbrough of the ENT Physicians of North Mississippi. That's ear, nose, and throat, for those of you that are unfamiliar. Dr. Yarbrough, longtime Bulldog fan, think a lot of him. You will, too. You need to go by and see Dr. Yarbrough, two locations to see to serve you. It's one of those things, too, a lot of people think, well, you know, Steve, I'm, I'm okay. I'll take my Zyrtec. Aren't you tired of doing that? Aren't you tired of having to manage this daily? It could be a symptom of a bigger problem. You have all this sinus trouble, you have all that post-nasal drip, you have these earaches, these chronic sinus headaches. Let Dr. Yarbrough help you. Two locations, as I mentioned, 910 Stark Road in Starkville and in 6810 Pegram Drive in Tupelo. Great man, great doctor. He'll take care of you. And if you if you have to have surgery here in Starkville, it's going to be at OCH. You know it's support in a local hospital. Give them a call today. Don't put it off any longer. There's no point, I mean, there's no point in diminishing the quality of your life over something that could be fixed rather easily. Dr. Yarbrough's number is 662-844-6513. Again, that's 662-844-6513. 662-844-6513. All right, so let's, uh, let's get to, and, and Doc will like this list. Philip Carroll reached out to me on Twitter. And you can find Philip Carroll at Jumping Jack Dog on Twitter. So you can guess what his list was about. It's a Rolling Stones. And so Roy and I have done the inventory. We've never done a Rolling Stones list. I've had about a half dozen of you reach out and say, hey, Steve, I don't think you've done the Rolling Stones. You're absolutely correct. I thought I had. I know we had talked at times about the Stones, but I don't know that we ever did a Rolling Stones list. If we did, I couldn't find it. So we're going to do the Rolling Stones list now. And there are several honorable mentions, and this is one of those lists, too. I know that there are going to be many of you that have been alive longer than me that were around as the Stones kind of began their ascent to rock and roll, you know, stardom, that are going to know some songs like that are big songs to you that, that aren't as big to me. And so let me go ahead and tell you, this is my list. And so your list may differ from mine. Yours would be wrong. But this is my list. And so here are the honorable mentions. I'm going to run down Angie. Miss You, Waiting on a Friend, Shattered, Tumbling Dice, Time is on My Side, Can't You Hear Me Knocking, which almost made the list, and then Mother's Little Helper, which was a great cover that uh, Tesla did on the five-man acoustical jam. Mick wrote, What a drag it is getting old. Uh, I absolutely agree. All right, so here's the top ten list, Philip. I hope you approve. Uh, Philip Carroll is such a big Rolling Stones fan, he even has the Rolling Stones lips as his AVI on Twitter. So, with that in mind, Philip, I approach your list with the utmost respect. Number 10 for me, and I know this has been covered by several people, and listen, it's a great song, and all 10 of these are great songs. So, it may not be your favorites, but they're my favorites. Number 10, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need, and that's a great, great way to go through life. Number 9... 
Brown Sugar. And I love the guitar on this. Oh, my gosh. It's one of those songs, too, like you hear it initially. It's got the cowbell and everything. It's incredible. Number eight, a song that was actually covered by Bette Midler. She had a hit with this, too, but uh, not nearly as good as what Mick and uh, Keith and those guys did. It's Beast of Burden. I, I love Mick's vocal on this one. I, I really do. I love that, that chorus. I love how he, he, he really elevates on that song. Number seven, and a lot of people would say this is their favorite one, and I love the, the tone of the guitar on this one. It's, it's one of those things, as soon as you hear the opening bars, there's no question who you're listening to. It's Sir Keith Richards. But it's I can't get no satisfaction. Number six, Philip, you'll like this one. It's Jumpin' Jack Flash. It's a gas, gas, gas. This is another one, too, that a lot of people have tried to pull off, but it's just not as good. And one of the things I love about the Stones is there's just so much character. There's like, and some people say, well, I don't really like the way Mick Jagger moves around and, you know, Keith's so old. You know, okay, listen, there's something to be said for these guys. They're still doing it at such a high level at advanced age. I mean, these guys have been rocking forever and a day. You know, like Dennis Leary once said about Keith Richards, he was talking about the Rock Against Drug commercials that used were so prevalent in the 80s. You know, like, hey, don't, hey, kids, don't do drugs, or you end up having to do a commercial just like this one. Like you said, Keith Richards would say, hey, kids, don't do drugs. Like, Keith, we can't. We have to wait for you to die and smoke your ashes. But anyway, kids, don't do drugs. Uh, so number five, and this is one of those, I, I love the fact that uh, the Sundays covered this, and I think Budweiser used it like as uh, an ad bed. But it's Wild Horses. I love the original, but my favorite version of this is the live version. You can find it on YouTube, and uh, it is so incredibly emotional. I just love the fact that the Rolling Stones are so authentic. I think that's what people kind of respond to. And Wild Horses is one of the greatest love songs ever written. Number four, a little more modern one, and it seems like it's played in every stadium in the country, but it's Start Me Up. And probably the most recognizable song of the 80s, I would imagine, from the Rolling Stones catalog. Now, we're down to the final three. And I could juggle these around a little bit. And I know many of you are thinking, I hope Steve picks my favorite song. You know what? It may not be your favorite song. These are my three favorites. And at some point, they've all been number one in my life. But the most consistent one is number one. Number three, it's only rock and roll, but I like it. And you know what? Years ago, we used to do these Battle of the Bands in my hometown of Columbia. I used to organize that stuff. We used to do them. We did it at the water park. We did it at Walmart. We did it at Kmart. We had these Battle of the Bands, and we had bands come from all over. We had uh, Dead Man's Hand that used to open for Lillian Axe, came and played for us before. We had uh, a group called White Witch, and we had, um, I'm forgetting so many other ones, but uh, we had bands from all over the place. We had a band that came from Jackson. I don't even remember their name. But they did a great rendition of It's Only Rock and Roll. And, I, and it was amazing how many kids at my high school all of a sudden started listening to that song, got into the Rolling Stones because they heard these, their peers go play this great rendition of It's Only Rock and Roll at the Marion County Water Park. How about that? Bringing people together. All right, number two, and this is one of those, this is like, for many of us guys, they're just kind of singing our song here. 
but it's honky tonk women because they give me the honky tonk blues i love that song i love how it builds and builds and i love the harmonies i love the guitar tone i think it is quintessential keith richards but number one for me and a lot of people have covered this one too and there are some songs you just don't mess with and in my mind this is one of them but it's Gimme Shelter. And uh, listen, Corey Taylor did a great one and had uh, Lizzie Hale sing the chorus. And it was decent. But there have been a lot of other people that have covered it that didn't do that song justice. But there are some songs to me that you just don't mess with. And this is one of them. I, listen, there are some people that cover these songs as a tribute and kind of out of respect. And other people, I think, kind of take them and make them their own. This is one. I just don't know how you could ever improve upon this song. So that's my number one Rolling Stone song, Give Me Shelter. I can't believe we hadn't done this list. And I'm so glad we went and did the inventory because, you know, we got to we got to compare notes like, hey, we hadn't done this one, we hadn't done that one. And so it's wonderful how we kind of, you know, tune up together because just as me and Roy are kind of putting the list of, okay, here's who we need to do, one of you guys will reach out and say, hey, Steve, what about this? So if you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out, let me know. I'm happy to do them. And Miss Pam Menyard texted me and said hey steve the top 10 list is my favorite part of the show i would say 49 out of 50 people that reach out to me about top 10 list are crazy about top 10 lists every so often somebody's like hey steve i always fast forward through that because i don't really listen to music i don't want to be happy in life i just want to move on but anyway if you have ideas reach out let me know i'm on at scout steve r all forms of social media all right, let's talk a little basketball. This next segment brought to you by the fine folks at Campus Bookmart. You know Stan the man. Stan is an honest businessman trying to make an honest living, trying to make Bulldog fans happy as best he can. Go by and see Stan. He'll even take a picture with you. He will. He'll sell you a new mask, and hopefully we won't have to wear this much longer. Miss Kathy Brown's done a great job kind of keeping that store outfitted in the latest and greatest MSU fashions. You need to outfit your family. Let them work for you and find the perfect Mississippi State gift. Find them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. And many of you use this, and thank you so much. But it's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. Use that promo code to get free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. And let's be honest, if you hadn't got 50 bucks in your shopping cart, you're not done shopping. Do it right. Order yourself something, too. I mean, if you're like me, I mean, like, it left up to the people in my life, I would never have anything. <laughs> I mean, so, you know what I'm saying? It's like everybody's like, hey, hey, Dad, can I get this? Can I get that? Can I get this? You know, and I'm happy to do it for them. But you know what? Sometimes I just think, you know what? All these packages that show up in my house, you know, Amazon, since like the guy from Amazon comes every day. And there's never anything for me. And so I order it myself. And so if you're in the same situation I am, go to campusbookmart.net and order your own dadgum Mississippi State shirt, right? Go, go take care of it yourself, dad, mom, whoever. Do it for you. Rep the brand. All right, let's talk a little basketball. We're going to, listen, so we have had some, before we get into men's basketball, we've had some women's players leave. And um, listen, I, I say this sometimes too, and I think people think that I'm joking. But I love all of you, but some of you really make my head hurt. I mean, really, really, really make my head hurt. Like, I read your comments. Like, people say, oh, I love Mississippi State. And then we get out there and trash State every chance we get. What, what, are, you, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then, and then you say, well, here's what really happened. Oh, I didn't know. Okay, then don't post. There are so many people that often in error, never in doubt. And so I just encourage you, before you react emotionally, let's get the facts. 
Okay, I'll give you a good example. Yamaya Morris came to Mississippi State and was a backup center. And uh, it has been known for some time that she plans to take the grad transfer route and go on to grad school and use her athletic talents to enable her to get her master's degree and then kind of set herself up for a better life after basketball. It's been known that that was going to happen. Robbie Falk is a guy that covers women's basketball for us. Robbie has mentioned that several times, that, hey, she's one that's going to move on because of this. And it was, it's pre-understood. But, you know, she enters the portal, and it's like people freak out. Now, I would submit to you that many of our casual fans have no clue who Yumai Morris is. But we're going to freak out about it, though. Oh, it's been four girls transfer. They all hate the coach. Listen, some of these players that are leaving, it's, it's good for us. I've told, I've told you for months there's going to be some attrition. And, you know, maybe we're at the end of it. Maybe we are. There's one more that I'm hearing is 50-50. I kind of checked in with Robbie today because Rob, that's Robbie's beat. I said, what are you hearing about this? I hear it can go either way. He goes, yeah, I think she's staying. I think it's all going to work out. And so maybe we're at the end of that. But you have a grad transfer. You have two grad transfers, actually. I guess Sydney Cook's also a grad transfer. And let's be honest. I mean, if she was, uh, she's going to go to law school. And, you know, to be fair, I mean, if, if she was knocking down major minutes and really playing, you know, maybe towards something else, maybe she puts it off a year. I don't know. But it was, again, not something that was totally unforeseen. Uh, Jemiah Mingo Young was somebody that we really were excited about when she signed. Hasn't really realized her potential. Didn't play a, a whole lot under Vic. But she was young, right? And so it's only natural to have some attrition. And, you know, the fact that we all knew about halfway through the year that, hey, we're going to have some players leave at the end of the year, um, shouldn't come as a big surprise. And so I'm not going to sit here and defend this women's basketball season that we've had. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to defend the effort of this women's basketball team. I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to defend the coaching of this women's basketball team. It's been a difficult year. I'm not going to make excuses for anybody. We've got to turn it around. And it doesn't boil down to just one person. You know, everybody's got to have a buy-in. I wish everybody cared as much as Maya Taylor. I really do. I really do. If we had 10 Maya Taylors, we'd be uh, probably be a two or three seed in the tournament right now. But we don't, and we're not. So Nikki's got to get it right, and now she has some room to work with to bring in some players to fit her system, to fit her culture, and we'll move forward. You know, one of the things that I have learned in life is about singleness of purpose. And I use that in my life regularly. You know, and I, I, I tell Mike Nemeth all the time, I love what we do. If I didn't love what we do, it would feel like work to me. It doesn't feel like work. It's probably work for the people that love me because I work so much and I'm away so much. It's probably a job to them. And there are times I'm probably not fair to them. But I love what we do. And the people that love me understand how much joy I get from the work. And so it is easy for me to kind of say, you know what, this is, this is my purpose in life. And it is easy for me to kind of stay on track with that. And so I don't do things that divert me from my primary purpose very often. I just don't. I'm just kind of wired this way. I mean, I wrote three articles today, and then I'm recording this show, and you know, we'll work in a Facebook Live over the weekend, and I'll be down at LSU, and 
but you know, I don't, I don't, I don't get on here and I don't, I don't give you guys, you know, auto mechanic advice. Yeah, I don't get on on here and offer you political commentary, at least not very often, because I want to keep you all as listeners. You know, I don't get on here and you know talk to you guys about what I cooked for dinner. I just don't do that because you don't come here for that. You come here to hear about Mississippi State. And so I think it's important that we always remember what our primary purpose is. And the primary purpose, a women's basketball coach, the men's basketball coach, the baseball coach, the football coach, track coach, softball coach, everybody, your, your job is, is basically threefold. Win ball games, graduate players, and help develop these people into great citizens. That's it. Productive adults. Season them for the world. Those are the three primary purposes of coaching. And when something gets in the way of that, there becomes a problem. And now some of that is self-chosen, some of it is by circumstance. So when your primary purpose is not being fulfilled, you have to take an inventory and say, okay, well, what got us off track here? Well, whatever that is, it's a distraction. So we got to put that away. And there are sometimes that people bring you distractions. Maybe you've got a player that can't you know, keep their personal life out of practice. And so if that's the case, then they got to go. If you have people that won't come to meetings on time and they are chronically uh, tardy and they're people that disrespect you and your authority, they got to go because they're a distraction. Because here's the thing, if we're not similarly situated and mutually aligned in our goals, then it's not going to work out. And so if you're not going the same direction as me, I'm either going to run you over or I'm going to get you out of the car. One of the two. And so that's the attitude we got to have. It's okay, listen, we're getting paid to do a job here, and that's to win basketball games for Mississippi State. And anybody that is in the way, anybody that detracts from that has got to go. If that means they got to hit the portal, then so be it. If that means they got to retire from basketball, then so be it. And just like you know, Brittany Young gets a job at Austin Peay, congratulations to her. And I saw that some of our fans, and I use Dr. Evil quotes, uh, wanted to use that as some way to be critical of, of our, our basketball program. We had a young lady that just got a job as a head coach, her first opportunity to be a head coach. Why would she not take that? And then people see that as a sign that all the ship is sinking. Well, you know, if we were winning, everybody would say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we lost her. Let's just be you know, happy for her. Thank her for her year of service and best of luck in the future. But I think you know, what this program needs right now is to get back to basics. And I understand that Nikki McRae is a great teacher, and she is kind of building towards the future, and she's kind of instilling what she wants to do. Vic's a little different. Vic's a lot different in many respects. But I'm not the kind of person that thinks, you know what, we've had one year, and it's been a year unlike any other, on and off the court. You know, it, listen, if it had been a great year, you know what I mean? Like everything was perfect. I'd be a lot more critical. But when you've had the circumstances that we've had this year, you know, and listen, I get they're the same for everybody, you know, but when you take a job late and then you've got to recruit your roster to stay and then, you know, your biggest signee, you have to continue to recruit them all the way to the end, even after they've signed. They've already signed an actual letter of intent. You couldn't have any security with that. Then you get out there and go practice, and it, you know workouts are kind of delayed a little bit. I mean, so yeah, I mean, it, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt this year. 
I'm not going to do it next year, but I'm going to give you benefit of the doubt this year. But we have to get back to our primary function and singleness of purpose. There's just so much that goes on. There's been so many distractions this year, and that's a lot for a new coach. I mean, it really is. You're trying to learn a culture here, not to mention get crushed under the expectations of your predecessor. I mean, you got a, you got a fan base here that is like, we have grown accustomed to winning and playing for championships. We've won a couple of SEC championships. We've played for two national championships. We're not ready to go back to being a team that uh, is a two-seed in a WNIT. That's not, that's not what we're going to do. We're not, that's not acceptable anymore. And so those are the things you begin to kind of factor through. And so, you know, it's a difficult circumstance. I do know that uh, Nikki McCray-Penson comes from incredible stocks. She's an incredibly intelligent person. And uh, I believe she's going to turn it around. And I know that I'm probably in the minority. But you know what? I want what's best for Mississippi State. And I will support every coach while they're here as long as they're here. Let's look at them inside real quick here uh, before we move on. Got some recruiting stuff before we get out the door. But let's look at some men's basketball stuff. Ben Howell met with the media on Thursday, kind of previewed the weekend. The Bulldogs and the Billikens will tip it off at uh, 4 p.m., and so you guys can watch that basketball game and then flip over and watch uh, State beat LSU in an intercollegiate baseball game. But uh, St. Louis, 14-6 and six on the year. Ran through some of this stuff earlier uh, the week, so I won't bore you kind of running down the schedule. But uh, just kind of looking at some numbers here. You know, they got hot in the middle of the year, and then they got into the Atlantic 10 tournament and uh, went 1-1. One and one. Uh, They beat UMass, who they had beaten in a regular season finale, and then lost to St. Bonaventure, 71-53. Of course, St. Bonaventure, a nine seed, taking on LSU in the NCAA tournament. But uh, this is a team that's won won a lot of games this year and uh, hasn't played a lot of Power 5 teams, but they have played some very competitively. Let's look at the stats here real quick. Kind of move on here. We'll get into some recruiting stuff. Some things I want to share with you guys. Some things that I've been thinking about. This is a team that uh, you know gets up and down a little bit, and uh, you know three point shooting, pretty big deal for them. You know, looking at these numbers here, you know, thirty five percent from three. They've connected on two hundred fifty eight from three hundred sixty seven. Pardon me, that's not right. That's free throws. Uh, one hundred thirty one of three seventy two. I apologize for that. You're like, man, 258 threes got to be in a tournament. But this, this is a team, too. You look at them and you say, you know what, this is a team that we're capable of beating. This is a team that's capable of beating us as well. Uh, Javante Perkins is the straw that serves to drink for them. 17 points a game. He is a 6'6", 210-pound senior from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, a guard forward for them. Jordan Goodwin, number double zero. Got it's done a good job for them as well, averaging 14.5 points a game. Another guard, 6'3", 200. So they've got some size at the guard position for sure. It's a veteran team. We're not a veteran team. So we're going to have to turn out and go play our best game, more than likely. Hassan French, a 6'7", 240-pound senior forward from Middleton, New York. Averaging uh, 8.7 points a game. Pulling down a lot of rebounds for him, too, 7.2. Gibson Jimerson, averaging 8.2 points a game. Redshirt freshman guard out of Richmond, Virginia. I'm not going to run down all these numbers for you, but I think it's apparent at this point this is a veteran team 
that is used to playing together. And so as a result, we're going to have to go out there and play team basketball. And they have been able to get up and down the floor a little bit. I mean, if you look at some of these scores, you know, compared to what we have seen, it's a little different. They're averaging 75.3 points a game. You know, we're a team that wants to grind it out, so we're going to have to make them play our game. It's going to be a contrast in styles. But, uh, you know, we're going to have to go out there and play loose and play fast. And I'll be honest with you, I won't be the least bit surprised if we do come out and play well because we weren't expected to have a game. You know, let's be, you know, we had some teams that bowed out of the NIT that opened up a door for us to go play, and then we get a phone call. We're like, yeah, we'll absolutely go play. We're happy to go play. And while we may be going because some other teams have opted out, we're still going. This is a team that needs practice. You know what? The women's team needs practice too. And uh, Nikki McRae will meet with the media at 11 o'clock today, and, and she'll kind of detail her decision on why she felt it was best they didn't play. And I think when you look at the, the attrition we've had on the roster, I think you, you kind of can draw your own conclusions and understand what's going on here. But on the men's side, I mean, listen, it's been a difficult year. But we still got a chance to get the postseason, got a chance to go win a game or two, and we'll see. I mean, we're two wins away from Madison Square Garden, baby. We got higher aspirations for sure. But I think it would be a good way to end the season. We can find a way to win this ballgame. Whatever happens beyond that, we'll see. But, uh, you know, again, I think Ben Howen down the stretch, take away that Alabama game in the quarterfinals, you take that away. And I think you can feel good about the direction of your program. And listen, out, listen, Alabama was buzzsaw this year. And even though we matched up well with them, it's clear that Nate Oates learned something from each matchup. And they exposed us a little bit in that third game. you got to give them a lot of credit. But uh, I'm eager to see the Bulldogs play again. I'll be, I'll be down in Baton Rouge, and so hopefully we can watch you on the app in the pregame. But I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing what happens in that ball game. And, again, it's a veteran team going up against a, a team that's probably a little more athletic, but it's younger. So it'll be a contrast in styles. We'll see who wins. But uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I feel great about the direction of the program. But I do feel like we took some positive strides down the, down the steps. I mean, down the stretch, pardon me. I really thought we'd go in the tank at times. But we didn't. And that's coaching. We held it in the road. We had some embarrassing losses. We'd bounce back. And we've had this roller coaster ride for, you know, a few years with Ben. But, uh, you know, maybe – when you begin to think about the fact that we lost seven players off last year's roster, we could still have a winning record this year and make the postseason. Um, and I know many of you that have been hound attractors say, you know what, Steve, but yeah, but we made it by default. Yeah, and maybe so, but we made it. And you go win a game or two, you prove you belong. If you're looking to make your next move to Starkville, look no further than the folks at Portico. Great new residential development right there off – Garrett Road, which is behind the Cryford Jeep dealership. If you're coming off 82 on a 12, you'll take the right. Your very first right, as you come down, you straighten out there on 12, you take that right. It's called Pat Station Road. They'll take you right to Garrett Road, and that's going to be your new home. Brooks Bryant and I spoke about it recently, and you guys have been listening, and you have been buying. Only a handful of houses left in Phase 1 of construction of Portico. Going to be a second phase that will get started here in the spring, early summer. They're going to be start doing some dirt work and things like that. Weather's kind of got them behind a little bit, but they're going to get caught up. So if you're looking to make a move soon, you need to make a call soon. If you're thinking, you know what, maybe we'll wait to the summertime, you, know, you can go ahead and start getting some information now, save yourself some guesswork later, and kind of figure out, okay, listen, here's what it looks like, here's the information, so you can make an informed decision. 
You don't have to sign a contract today. You don't have to make an offer today. But go ahead and begin your due diligence and think about making Starkville your home, whether it be an investment property, your primary residence, uh, you know, just you know, a deal for you that's kind of a ball game weekend getaway. There are a lot of people that do that. They, they have a place here, and some people put it on, you know, what B&B or whatever, Airbnb and everything, or they don't use it. Maybe that's the route you go. But call Brooks. You know Brooks, former Diamond Dog, man. We owe Brooks a debt of gratitude. So pay your debt of gratitude today by calling Brooks at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. He'll give you all the details. Two-bedroom, two-bath, four-bedroom, four-bath. Any home for any size family. And, you know, listen, there's nothing better than coming to Starkville. And how cool is it? You know, I remember my favorite trips to Starkville before I lived here. Is when I could come and stay the night. You know what I mean? It's like I would come, go to the ball game. It was, sometimes it was such a, a rush to get here. But you know, it's so much fun for us. You know, on Fridays when town starts filling up. I mean, yeah, we got to do our shopping ahead of time before you guys get here. Y'all buy up all the chicken. But uh, you know, all of a sudden, you guys bring so much excitement to town, and you're like, man, traffic is so wild out there. But you know, we're almost grateful it is because we know what's going on. We love being here. Not to mention, we know how to use that 82 bypass, right? We just get on 82 and pass all that traffic. But, you know, it's exciting for you guys to be here. But it was always so fun for me when I knew that I could come up and just enjoy a weekend in Starkville. Make that your opportunity by going to Portico. All right, let's talk a little recruiting. Not necessarily about some players. I want to talk about some things that uh, – there are a lot of things out there. There is, there's a lot of misinformation out there right now about contact period, official visits, uh, when in-person evals are going to take place, if there's going to be a spring evaluation period. And there are a lot of people out there that are saying, hey, we're going to take official visits here. Uh, none of that has been approved yet. And there are a lot of people out there that are kind of doing a good job, I guess, kind of preparing these kids that, hey, if this thing passes, we'd love to have you here this weekend. And so you kind of get it locked in and you kind of get it scheduled, but there's no guarantee that visit's going to take place. Now, in-person evals, and that's one of the things that they're talking about. But that does not mean we're going to turn everybody loose to go all over the country. Because we're almost at the end of the semester now. I mean, you think, I mean, you know, a couple weeks away from April, people will be getting out middle of May. And so spring football is going to be over for a lot of people sooner rather than later. You know, we began spring football today at Mississippi State. And so you're going to have some teams kind of get into spring football here. And so, you know, when do you get out and go see people? So the discussion that is taking place now, one of the proposals that I'm aware of is they're going to allow some on-campus, in-person eval. You say, oh, great, that means camps. That's not what I understand it to mean. It's going to be one of those kind of invite-only type deals. It's like you're not going to have these three and 400 kid camp things that's basically a fundraiser for the university where nobody really learns anything. You know what I'm saying? Because that's what happened. There are a lot of people out there that have all these camps, and you have 400 kids come, and nobody can get reps, and nobody can stand out, and coaches can't really work with you, and nobody gets real you know, instruction. And that's not just indicative of, of these bigger camps of Mississippi State. This is you know, around the country. And Dan Mullen was here sometimes. You know, We'd have 15 days of camp, and you'd have about 25, 30 kids a day, and you could work with those kids. And when Joe got here, it was a different deal. You know, We'd have 300, 400 kids here. And everybody gets a shirt, and everybody gets a picture made with Joe, and that's kind of the extent of the of the, of the camp, you know. And so you you couldn't learn anything. 
didn't help us either. We'd go over there and try to find out kids, and you, know, you couldn't spot anybody. You lost in the crowd. I don't say it to be critical of Joe. I'm just kind of being critical of those kind of camps. And I understand they're necessary from a fundraising standpoint. And there are a lot of kids out there that aren't true prospects that would love to be able to come to Mississippi State camp and work with our facilities and work with our coaches. And they don't care that they don't get a bunch of reps. They just want a chance to go practice where the Bulldogs are. So I get that aspect of it. I think that's behind us for now. I think what's going to happen this year is that the universities will say, you know what, hey, these are the guys we're really serious about. These are the guys that have offers from us. These are the guys that are in contention for an offer. And so we're going to let those guys come and work out, probably be smaller groups, kind of like we did with Mullen, maybe over a handful of days. But it's not going to be like herding cattle out there. It's not going to be junior days where you know everybody, where the recruiting writers for certain sites get out there and say, oh, man, there were 500 kids here. And they even tell you what, you know what that is? That's a waste of a good day. If you have 500, 400, 300 kids on your camp campus for a junior day or a camp, you, all you're doing is wasting everybody's time because you can't, you can't have any personal interaction with people. And then the kids come and they leave disappointed. It's like, yeah, there's all the same people there. I couldn't even talk to my coach. And so we're going to dial that back a little bit. So we'll get the parameters of this as we kind of move forward. But we're hearing that there is a real good possibility of a camp-type deal on a much smaller schedule. And so I think that's helpful because there are going to be some guys out there that are in contention for offers. It just seemed that, you know, there's a bunch of kids out there that just need to come run. There's some, there's some other kids out there that just need to come measure in and show that they're 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and not 6'3 and a half. And so this is a chance for the universities to get some objective and accurate times measurements to better make a decision so that's coming don't know when don't know when it's going to be approved uh, i know there is also uh you know some legislation kind of in the works for baseball you know because we're getting we're getting to a point too that uh you know summer baseball is going to be here sooner before you know it and so we get done with the college world series and you know we got wooden bat championships out in marietta that sort of stuff and so you know, if you can begin to allow some of that stuff, that'd be great. Those tournaments are happening with or without college coaches. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, we wouldn't cover them last year. And there were a lot of people not wearing masks because they are outside. And so if those tournaments are going to take place, you know, why would you not allow your college coaches to go out there and be able to recruit kids and be able to evaluate kids and ultimately offer those kids a chance at a college baseball future? So – not sure how it's going to trickle down to every sport, but there is a lot of discussion now about kind of opening this thing up because there were a lot of kids last year that kind of had to make a, a decision with very limited information. There are a lot of schools out there that had to extend offers with very limited information. To give you a good example of that, when your uh, mid-year enrollees turned up in June, January, you know, Carson Williams, Daniel Greek, all those guys, uh, they met their coaches for the first time. Met him for the first time. Mason Miller didn't even know how big his linemen were. You know, it's one thing to, you know, you see the tape and then you you get the, the heights and weights emailed to you, whatever. Somebody texts you a, you know, a picture or something. But until you see him in person. So they got to shake hands for the first time in their courtship. It's crazy. So I think the NCAA 
is trying to kind of loosen some of that to kind of help everybody make more informed decisions. And I think getting kids on campus, even if, it, even if it's still somewhat restricted, allowing kids to get on campus and, and being able to talk to coaches, and maybe you don't do it in a building, maybe, maybe everybody's got to get tested, I don't know. But you've got to find a way to let these guys get on campus and be able to interact with their coaches and be able to go tour the facilities and things like that because there's only so much you can see virtually. I know many of you probably maintain these uh, cyber relationships or whatever, but uh, you know we can't play football that way. We can't play football that way, and we shouldn't have to recruit that way. So hopefully those things happen. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about – some of the things that we're hearing about that. I think it'll be good for the individuals and the schools. And listen, there are a lot of guys out there, too. That, that's the thing. There's so many players out there. Right now, everybody's six foot, 210 pounds, and runs a 4-5-40. Everybody. Even the linemen, right? Uh, but you understand my point. Everybody out there saying this, and there hadn't been these Nike camps or Under Armour camps, and so you don't know who to trust. And so you get these guys on campus, and you, you know, weigh them in yourself. Measure them up yourself. Work them out yourself. Let them run yourself. And so that's big. It's big to be able to do that. I think it's beneficial to everybody. As long as you can do it safely, and everybody's playing football anyway, right? And so if we can have people come in, have some safety protocols, have medical people check them when they get there to ensure that everybody's you know, healthy, there's no reason not to do it. And, again, there will be some restrictions, but I think it's a step in the right direction. And I'm eager to see what happens around the southeast after this big opening SEC weekends of baseball. You know, the numbers continue to go down. Vaccine numbers are up and that sort of stuff. And, you know, maybe by the time we get to the summer, you know, maybe we'll be – maybe we won't have to worry about having so many restrictions. You know, maybe a lot of this will be behind us. I mean, it feels like we're turning in the right direction. But, you know, one of the things we've learned about this virus is, you know, just when we think we've got it all figured out, all of a sudden there's a big spike. And so we had the holiday spike and it's come back down. You know, what happens now when uh, we start packing out SEC baseball stadiums and you know, states are a little uh, less restrictive of what they do and what they force their citizens to do? We'll see. I'm hoping for the best. I know you are as well. If you had not done so, go to alphadogsthebook.com. You can get personalized copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. As a matter of fact, I just had to sign some Stark Villains uh, here recently. And so if you've read Alpha Dogs, you, if you like Stark Villains, you're going to love Alpha Dogs and vice versa. I have people that tell me all the time, hey, I read that one, hadn't read the other one. What are you doing with your life? Got some exciting news that we'll share about next year, sooner rather than later. It's going to be a big year for me this year. You just need to be prepared for that. It's going to be a big year. You think I'm joking, but I'm not. If you're looking for Stark Villains gear, go to StarkVillains.com. Would appreciate it if you would do that. Love to see those shirts hanging around at Duty Noble. There was one on TV last weekend right behind home plate. Thank you very much, Angel. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. <laughs>